Amen. All right, we are continuing in Genesis, book of Genesis. You have your hand, you have your handouts. If you'd like those, uh, there is also study guides that are available in the back. If you've never checked those out, you might want to pick one up. Uh, it's a good way to review. Uh, you can use it in your personal Bible study time. We will be using those um, in the community groups. Um, there's a lot of discussion questions and things in there, so it is really a good thing to do with someone else if you can. Um, so even if it's just you and your spouse, you could do that. Um, and and we're going to be in, in two. We're going to cover two chapters today: Genesis 20 and 21. Um, and you're gonna, you might think if you've been paying attention, if you've been following along, you might go like, wait, is this a rerun? No, it's not. It's not a rerun. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of uh, repeated behaviors in this, in this, uh, in these chapters, um, which is good news for us uh, because it means Bible characters. They're just like us, right? Like that happens to us as well. We have things that are repeatedly happen in our own lives, even Certainly big things, unfortunately, sins that, that are common, that, that continue to, prop up, to, to uh, pop up in our own lives, uh, but also like just little silly things. And, and I was thinking like, God, it'd be great if I could have an illustration of something in my life. What can I think of something? And I couldn't think of anything. And then, um, and then I went to leave my house this week. And uh, when I, when I, leave my house, I often have a lot of stuff. I have my, like, my backpack with my computer in it, and I've got my lunchbox, and I've got my coffee, and then I have kids, so I often have other stuff. You know, there's just like a big armful, and I don't like to take multiple trips, so I just like load it up as much as I can, and I get out there, and my truck has like a, like the bed is like a little ledge right there behind the back window, and it's the perfect place to set my coffee cup while I open the door and get everything else in there. Well, this week, I set the coffee cup there, and then I loaded all the stuff up, and I got in, and I drove off, <laughs> and I drove, like, almost all the way here, and realized, and I, and I picked up the coffee cup that I had left, it was left over inside of my truck, and I was like, that coffee is cold, <laughs> and I went, oh, I left it on the back again, because that <laughs> happens to me at least once a year, like, I do that exact thing at least once a year, and it's, like, that kind of thing where I'm sure you guys have these things in your head where you're like, how can I not learn from this? How can I not learn the, to not do that? I've broken many coffee cups. Sometimes, luckily, they fall sometimes inside the bed. Then that's better. Then I just don't have coffee anymore. But like, but oftentimes they fall off into the street and break and that kind of thing. So it's just one of those stupid things where it's like, why do I keep making the same mistake again and again? Um, and, and sometimes we struggle with things in our lives that are much bigger and more important than silly things like that. But that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see some of that today. And really right off the bat with Abraham and Abimelech. Um, so we're going to get into that. Chapter 20, starting in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he, journeyed, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? 
Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is, my, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused, all, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and his female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because like, this exact thing already happened. In chapter 12, when uh, Abraham goes to e uh, Egypt, he has this same encounter. Um, so even after all of this, after all of these experiences God has ha had with Abraham, he's still cowardly, right? He's doing this because he's a coward. He's afraid of being killed. He's afraid of what might happen if they find out, oh, this is actually his wife. And apparently... Apparently, Sarah was the most beautiful woman that ever lived, right? Really, last time when, we, when I taught on chapter 12, an older woman in the congregation came to me and said, like, how could she be that beautiful? She was like 70, she was in her 70s. I'm not saying that. Someone else said that, okay? She's, I totally can see why that would be the case. Um, but... But now, she's in her 90s now, or she's almost 90 now. Yeah, and, and still, he's like, you better say you're my sister, because people will kill me to get to you. That's amazing, right? That's, <laughs> who would have thought? Um, so, so Abraham's still cowardly, Sarah's still a looker, it's, everything is still <laughs> happening. Um, and Abraham... He's so he's haunted by the same old sin, right? The same deception that he, like, it's premeditated. This is, like, his plan from the get-go. He's so afraid of being killed for Sarah that he is, like, everywhere you go, tell, tell people you're my sister, right? That's, he's, he's having the same problem. The, 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 and he, he was shamed for it before. He's being shamed for it now. Where the guy's going, why would you do this to me? Right? And, and he's having the same problem. And we see this pattern in our own lives. Like I said, where there are things that continue to 
crop up, that continue to come up, where we go, why do I still struggle with the same thing? Right, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely. And I'll pause right there on that real quick. That this idea of the sin which clings so closely. Right, we have these things that like just it seems to have a hook in us, seems to have something that it continually, continually haunts us. And he said, it continues and says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This idea of this sin that haunts us, right? He says we can lay it aside. The author of Hebrews says we can lay it aside by focusing on Jesus, right? By <coughs> looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? We're, it, it's meant to draw us to him, to say like, God, I don't want this. I want to follow you. I want to stick to you. I want to follow you. That's the way we can overcome it, right? It's the only way you can overcome it because oftentimes we get, convinced of this myth that we can do it on our own strength where we have this idea of I, I can i can fix myself i can make myself better i can change my behavior how was that gone for you right probably not well right? because ultimately only jesus can give us victory over sin in that way ultimately it's only through him he is the founder and the perfecter of your faith he's the one that starts it and he's the one that completes it it's only in him, right? Because he went to the cross, right? Because he endured the cross because of his love for you, despising the same, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one who is able to give you victory over those things. And only by continually submitting to him, continually going to him, when we're faced with those temptations, it's the only way that we can overcome it is through him through his salvation, through his work on the cross, is the only way that we can find victory in that. We also see in this passage that, that God protects Abimelech from un, unwittingly sinning, right? He didn't, he didn't know that this was wrong, and God protects him and, and shows him, but he also tells him, you know, you need to go fix it, right? And that's often true for us, too. We can get ourselves in situations where we're not intentionally doing anything wrong, but it comes to our attention, like, oh, I found out that it's wrong, and that and now we need to fix it. Once, that, once we have that knowledge, you need to, to fix it. And that's oftentimes the case in, in our lives where we go, well, I didn't know that I was getting into a situation that was wrong. When I, when I was a youth pastor, this is like, we have to rewind in technology here for a little bit. When I was a youth pastor, first, first on as youth pastor, a big thing was going online and downloading MP3s. You know the way everyone gets music now? Um, that was like a, a, a cool thing you could do. You could like search basically any song, find somewhere that had it, and download it. And that was stealing, right? It was essentially stealing. It was like, because they, people would put those up illegally and, and take it, and you weren't buying it, and you weren't even paying, you know, little fractions of a cent for it like the way we do now with streaming services. It was totally illegal. It was not okay. Um, but it was rampant. Everybody did it because it was so easy it was just there, right? You could just easily get it, easily get it. So I would have to explain to kids, like, here's how this is stealing, 
And I go through the process of explaining, like, this is what, this is what that, look, here's who owns it, here's how the property works, and, like, most of them is just like, <laughs> did not get it, would not acknowledge it. Um, mo- or would intentionally not acknowledge it because they wanted to continue doing it that way. Right? They wanted to continue to get these things for free. Um, and that's what this is like. That would be like if Abimelech, when God came to him and said, look it, he is actually her wife. He'd be like, well, she didn't tell me that, he didn't tell me that before, so I, I'm in the clear. No, once you know, you have, to, you have to acknowledge it and change it. And that's often, in, we come up in those situations in our lives where we go, well, I didn't know that that was wrong when I started down this path, but now I've realized that's not okay. I need to change my behavior. And we also see Abraham try to get off on the same technicality, right? He tries to get off on this technicality. Uh, this is uh, common when we're kids, but I think we do it still when we're adults, where he's like, well, she technically is my sister, okay? Like, technically, she's my half-sister, so I didn't lie, right? That's what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to say, and we can see that that's ridiculous, right? It's like, obviously, what's the more important relationship, the fact that she's your half-sister or that she's your wife? That's the, that's the primary one. That's what matters here. Um, but we try to get off that way all the time, where we go, well, I, I didn't technically lie to you. I just left out the most important part. Right? Because it was convenient for me. That's really what Abraham's trying to do here. And, and we do that kind of thing all the time. We have to realize that this, that's, why, that's why Scripture even talks about it in, in terms of the Ten Commandments. It's about bearing false witness. Right? That's bigger than just lying. Right? Bearing false witness. It's, it's like, how am I presenting this situation? How am I presenting this thing? Am I being true to the truth? Or am I being false in some way? That's what, it, that's what Abraham was doing here. And then the final thing I think we see in this section is that God continues to prosper Abraham in spite of this. Right? He continues to prosper. In spite of this, he continues to prosper. He continues to, right, he, he gives him all of these things. Right? He, Abimelech gives him all these gifts. Right? He gives him all these animals, all this like wealth. Like He gives him all these things. God lets Abraham profit off of this situation, just like he did last time. And you go like, why, why would Abraham stop, frankly? Like, he'd be like, let's go find another king to trick. <laughs> because it seems to work out for him. But that's, again, ultimately, he, he does know that it's wrong. He does get that message. Abimelech says, like, why would you do this? And, and we ultimately see that it is wrong, but God continues to prosper him because of the promises that God has made to him. God's pr- made these promises to, to Abraham. They're going to be accomplished regardless of Abraham's actions. And ultimately, we don't know what would have happened if he had done it another way. Maybe God would have blessed him even more. We don't know. All right, moving on to chapter 21, birth of Isaac. The Lord visited Sarah as as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when, Isaac, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water to give it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of, my, of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel, called, the angel of God called the Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay, a couple things from this section. First off, that, that first verse that we read, I think it is powerful. I think we should read it again. The Lord visited Sarah as he, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. You see the power in that, in that verse? right? It says he, he, he visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God fulfills his promises. God, we see here God's fulfilling his promise on time. right? He's fulfilling it in the time that he had said that he would as did what he said he would do. Right? He's doing the things that he said he would do in the time that he said he would do them. And I think that that's interesting because I think a lot of people look at this story and go, wow, God made Abraham and Sarah wait a long time. Right? It's about 25 years from the time they leave, um, from the, time they leave the land uh, of, of his father to, to the birth of, of Isaac. It's about 25 years. And you go, that's a, a long time to wait. But God never gave it a timeline until the end, right? Until the end, he said, I'll, in a year, I'll visit you. And then it happened in that amount of time. <coughs> so that's something that, that we can take away where we go, sometimes we, we want God to act on our timeline. God always and only acts on his timeline, right? God will do what he has promised, but only in the ways that he has said that he will in the time that he has determined. And it's not right for us to try to push that or to try to make it happen outside of that, that timeline. But God fulfills his promise. He gives Abraham and Sarah the child that he had promised. Finally. But then it's, it, this, that section, it, it, there's a darkness there too because we have this whole issue of, of Hagar and Ishmael being cast out. And I think we read that and go, that's terrible. 
It's terrible that they had to be cast out. Why did they have to be cast out? How did that happen? Well, here's one thing to note, because I think when you read it, as you read it, the most natural reading is like, oh, they're, um, he's, a, he's a little boy. Right? You think of Ishmael as like a little, little boy in this passage? But he's not. Right? First of all, we know he was already uh, 13 when, when Isaac uh, is born. He's about 13 years old. Or, or at, the, at the time of, um, sorry, the time that he's promised, when God visits uh, Abraham at the tree and tells him in a year you'll have a son, he's 13 at that point. So then a year goes by, now he's 14 when uh, Isaac is born, and then it would have been th- that when this feast happens is when the boy is weaned, which in that culture would have been around three years old, and they were t- between two and four, so he's around 17 that's a lot different. Now this story changes in your mind when you picture a 17-year-old versus like a, you're picturing in your head, I assume, like a six-year-old. That's what I kind of, when you initially read it, you're like, oh, the little boy and then the well and all that. And he's like, she's like picking him up. No, he's like a, practically a full-grown man at this point, right? So he's old enough to, to survive and even, even thrive. Like he's old enough being sent out with his mother. It's not as though they are they're unable to care for themselves, or that he's unable to really do things like hunt and, and take care of himself. Um, but God allows him to be sent away, tells him he had to do what, what Sarah said, I think because he is old enough for that to work, he is old enough for that to happen, uh, but also because he's removing the temptation of Abraham to make Ishmael an heir really over Isaac, or at least with Isaac, right? That's a that would be a real temptation for, for Abraham is to go, well, Ishmael is, is there as well. as like a backup plan. Either a backup plan or, a, uh, or, or even the first choice because he is the older one. So he's, he's kind of removing that. But the other thing we see is that, that Hagar and Ishmael are provided for. God cares about them. He's watching out for them. He's, he's, uh, he's helping them, right? Hagar is probably in shock as she's being sent out, like, how can this happen? What is happening? How can they send me away? She's having a difficult time, so she's being cast out of her home. But God looks after her, right? He sees their suffering. They, they go through the provisions that they've been sent away with, and, and she's kind of given up hope. She's dismayed. Um, she's sitting there. She puts the, the, she has her son sit down, far away from her because she doesn't want to watch him die. It's this tragic, terrible image that we have. But God's watching out for her. He's looking out for them. He, he's watching her. And this isn't, again, this isn't a rerun. This had happened before. Right? When, when she initially, th- this happened already where she gets sent out, where Sarah kind of runs her off and God comes to her and says, no, go ahead and go back. Right? This had already happened. She had already found out. That's where she ends up saying, I have seen the one who looks after me. I've seen the one who sees me. But she's already learned back then that God's looking out for her. He had already made these promises to her. Now she's having to learn it again, that God is looking out for her, that God cares about her, that, um, that he, even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of this terrible situation, God has a plan for her. He has a plan for Ishmael. He cares about them. And I think that's something that's for, for us as well, that God cares about you. He, he is concerned for you, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of 
things that look like they're not going well, things that look like they're not going right, in the midst of tragedy, God cares about you. He's looking out for you. We see this in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, where Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He's saying God cares about you so much that he's like, he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's, I, I, like, that's, I'm sure everyone here has heard that before. I've, you know, you've heard that phrase, you've heard that verse, you know that, like, oh, God knows every hair on your head. Like, but I don't, I think you don't believe it. Right? You like, conceptually, you're like, oh, sure, like, he knows a lot of details, but you think it's like metaphorical, not literal, but it's literal. Like, God does actually know how many hairs are on your head, and when one falls out, he like takes one off. He's like, okay, that's minus one. <laughs> right? He actually, he's like, a, knows the count here and everywhere around the world, like, that God knows that kind of detail is beyond our comprehension, so we just choose to like go, okay, yeah, I guess, sure, he knows all the hairs, whatever. But no, he knows every single one of them. He knows every single one of them. I had, my wife finally found a gray one over here the other day, but God already knew about it. <laughs> right, like, there, he knows about, it. I know some of you, like, well, that's not that hard, I, that's fine, but like, yes, he, know, he actually knows those things. He knows every detail about everything anywhere that thing you couldn't find this week he knows where that is right he knows all of these things he cares about them it's something that i think we we really don't actively oftentimes we think you know in these in these little things that happen to us we think i'm just alone in this i'm alone in my own little frustrations or my little disappointments that that it's like i you know, God doesn't care. It's not a big deal. God doesn't care about it. You know that the, the things that, like, bother you that, that you don't even really tell people that love you because you're like, no one cares about this little thing that happened to me. Right? That, God cares about that. God cares about those little, he can care about all of it. Or he can care about the big things. He can care about war and, and genocide and famine and and big, big tragedies, and he also care about the little disappointments that you have, right? the little problems that you have, your life individually. He's big enough to care about all of that. And, and he does. And then how he works in that can be different. Just because it still exists, just because he doesn't fix it right away, doesn't mean he doesn't care about it. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. These are all important, and they all have a role to play. And sometimes it's just go through it, right? Sometimes you have to go, Hagar and Ishmael, like, that's going to be a difficult road for them. God's saying, I care about you. I got you in this moment, but this is what's happening. This is what has to happen. This is how it's going to go. I'll be with you, but, he's, but it is what's going to happen. 
And you can see they, they end, up, end up working out, right? It says that the boy becomes an expert with the bow, right? He becomes a, a great hunter. His, his wife gets a, a, a wife, he, his uh, mo- mother gets him a wife from Egypt, right? They, they end up starting life over in this. But it's, it was surely a difficult road. We don't know any more about it than what's in these, pass- in these verses here. All right. Last section here, verses 22 through 34 of chapter 21. Beersheba. At that time, Abimelech and Picol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, and this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So Abimelech and Abraham, they're going to have another encounter here. Um, and, and, and what we see is that Abimelech is, a, is frankly afraid because of how clear, clear it is that God causes Abraham to prosper. Right? God has blessed him so greatly that he like goes, well, I, I have to make sure I have peace with this guy because God is so clearly on his side, he asks for a peace treaty. <coughs> and and think about how overwhelming that must have been, how, how clear it must have been that God prospered Abraham, because Abimelech now respects Abraham enough in spite of their first of that awkward first encounter. Right, you say first impressions are everything. Well, when you lie about your wife being your sister on the first meeting, like that's a long way to go to fix that. But he somehow has, right? They, they're they're going to have this peace treaty. Right? He even says here, like, <laughs> I think verse 23 here is fascinating where he says, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Right? <laughs> like, like you did before, right, is really like the subtext there, right? Like, no more like secret wife-sister situation, right? Like, let's just be real with me, deal, deal honestly with me, right? Promise before your God that this is going to be the case. Um, and then there's this immediate, right, he asked for this, and he's like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll be good, but there's an immediate test of it, right, where Abraham has conflict with Abimelech's men. They've, there's, a, there's a dispute over a well, um, and, and they make this then specific, and they make it real, they make it 
um, absolute, uh, absolute covenant, not, not just a, a verbal promise, but like, hey, we're going to actually have an exchange here where they, they make this covenant um, not to have conflict with each other. And he gives them these seven, seven lambs and, and names the place Beersheba. And, and, then, and then Abraham makes another place to worship God. Right? He makes a place to worship God. We see this at the end here where he's making a place for him to worship God. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Right? He plants this tree, which is a symbol of the, of the prosperity and the blessing that he's been given, the fruitfulness that he's been given. He's planting this and worshiping God, thanking God for what he has done. Right? Because things have settled down Right, Abraham now is uh, has a legitimate heir. He's a respected leader, right? Even with this, the situation that Abimelech shows that he's a respected leader at this point. He uh, is prosperous, and God's faithfulness is evident to everyone in Abraham that it, things have have gotten good at this point. And it happens in Beersheba, which is going to be a significant place moving forward. Right, so there ends up being this phrase that's used several times in the Old Testament um, from Dan to Beersheba. So one place is in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, where it says, this is talking about the days of Solomon, where it says, And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. So Beersheba is, is very far south. There's a map. I don't know how useful this is going to be. Okay, see that green dot at the bottom? That's Beersheba. It's, it's, in the, it's in the north of the Negev Desert, if you're familiar at all with the geography of Israel. Um, so it, it's not the furthest point south, but it's near the south. Um, and then Dan is, is very high up. That's the top dot there, not the triangle, depending on how good your eyes are. This is an eye test. <laughs> not the triangle, but the dot that's at the top. That's Dan. Right, so it's like this way of being like from the north to the south, from Dan to Beersheba. But it also is <coughs> specifically known as, as this, this like kind of final place of, of Abraham. Right, this is the, the final kind of place where he's going to settle, where he's going to be, spend a lot of his days, is in Beersheba. And so by saying from Dan to Beersheba, it's noting the, the importance of Abraham and, and this and this moment in his life where everything has really come together and settled down. And he's at, he's at peace. And Abraham uses the, the phrase here, it says that he called on the everlasting God. And that, that phrase, even though it's, it's maybe common to us, it's not, that, it's not that common in Scripture. right? That phrase isn't, it's often said that God is everlasting, but using the phrase specifically, the everlasting God, is not that common. In fact, the next time that it is uh, used is in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31, where he says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I think it's, it's interesting that God, that, that Abraham uses this, this word, the everlasting God, that he called on the name of the everlasting God. Because at this point in his life, he's been through so much to get to this point, right? It's about 25 years that he spent from the time God called him to leave his father's house to now, that he finally has a son, things have finally settled down, that he calls on the name of the everlasting God. He's recognizing that in spite of the fact that his behavior can be flawed, that he can fall, that the people around him can fall, that they they can mess up, make mistakes, that God is everlasting, that regardless of how fickle we can be, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is there, that God cares about our problems, that he cares about what's happened to you, that God knows exactly what you're going through. Wherever life is for you right now, whether it's in that difficult moment where you go, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how this is going to work out. It seems hopeless. Where the things are where Abraham is now, where you've gone, look at what I've gone through and look at where I'm at right now. Regardless of where you're at, God knows where you're at. He wants to be involved in your life. He cares about you specifically. He wants to be your strength. Right? He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants to be there for you. He wants to work in you. He wants you to lean on him. Right, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, as that passage says. That this is how much God loves us, that he cares about us, that he cared about you and loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, that he rose again to give you life, give you that ability to live life, give you his Holy Spirit within you, that you can be changed that you can have his life in you. Let's finish up with how should we then live. Here's three options uh, for you today. Three things that you might take away from today. Uh, First, guard your heart from persistent sins, right? Take those before God. Find victory in him. One way you can do that is by telling other believers, telling brothers and sisters that are close to you, hey, here's what I struggle with. Here, will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? Will you ask me about it? Right? Find someone that you, that, that you trust enough to be accountable with. Secondly, recognize God's protection and provision in your life. Right? Recognize that God is watching out for you, that the things that you have, He provided. Thirdly, believe in God's steadfast, faithful love for you. Right? That God loves you, that He's there for you forever. Now, someone brought up to me this week the idea that, that when I do these, a lot of them are um, things that, that you think or feel, right? And, um, and they're, they're always, when, when in, in, in seminary, when they teach you about preaching and that kind of thing, uh, they always say that the outcome should be a- applicational, should be three things. You're either telling someone how to, something to think, something to feel, or something to do. Um, and oftentimes, these are, these are things that you think, or things that you 
feel, things that, you, that change the way in, internal. Um, because that leads to how you live, right? That the things that you think, the things that you feel, your heart, your mind, that de- what determines what you actually do. And so for most of the things in, in Scripture, it's an internal change that then leads to how do you live that out. Um, but most of the time, applicationally, my, my how should we then live uh, applications will be uh, internal things that then change how you live externally. But if I made them all external, uh, it would be too specific. It has to be too specific because it's to your life individually. Right? If I said I recognize God's protection uh, and provision in your life and, and you're struggling with finances, you're, like, you're struggling to, uh, you know, how am I going to pay my electric bill this month? If I said, like, you know, believe that, that God will help you to figure out how to pay your electric bill this month, it'd be creepy if it was, like, one person that's like, oh, shoot, okay, I didn't realize that, right? So that's an, but that's an important thing to think, to, to realize, is like, hey, how do I actually play these things out in my life? Because oftentimes they're internal, but they play out specifically in your life in, in specific ways, and these can have that. These can have that, the internal things then how do they play out in your life specifically? If you, if you struggle with that or if you have questions or you want to talk to somebody about that, our prayer team is great for that. You can also always leave a, a comment in the, the prayer card, the, the communication cards. Um, and stick those in, in the prayer and share boxes or, in, or give them to, to an elder or, or a pastor. If you ever want to talk about these things, I'm always happy to meet with anybody. I, I send my office hours out in the, in the weekly emails. You can check those out um, or just, you know, give me a call or a text. My number is practically everywhere. Um, <laughs> intentionally, you can, I, I want people to have, you can give people my, my, num- my cell phone number. I want them to have it. Um, all right, let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word that, that shows us that that just like us, uh, these, these people that lived through these things, these amazing uh, men like Abraham that were flawed just like we are, and you cared for him just like you care for us, that you uh, were with him just like you're with us, that you want to be involved in our lives, that you, you do actually know how many hairs are on our head. And, and so much more than that, God, more important things that you know about us internally. You know everything about us. You know us better than we know ourselves. I pray that we would submit to you, God, every part of us, that there would be no, no part of us we hold back, that we would trust you as the everlasting God to provide for us, to protect us. We thank you for all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.